if you if you <laughs> progress with the relationship and you eventually wind up, you know, married or whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know, digital substitute, will you invite at Jack to the ceremony? I, I'm not inviting Jack until he makes good on his agreement to go get some wings with me. He said that he would do it, and really? we haven't done it. I, well, you know, I'm sure he's an avid listener of this program. Yeah. So at Jack, probably you, an oh, avid eater of wings. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I'm so excited to have Mike Murphy, a, an old friend of mine. He's not old. It's just it's been a long time <laughs> since we've been together. He's the technology editor at Quartz. Mike, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you and I used to know each other from a thousand years ago. You you literally grew up in Ogilvy years and years ago <laughs> in London. And then from there, you decided you wanted to sort of change fields and go into journalism. So let's start there. What did that pathway look like? It wasn't a straight one, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I was working at Ogilvy in London, and I had always had a, a huge interest in technology mm-hmm. and writing. Those had always been my passions. When I was in advertising, I actually, you know, I got to see a lot of cool new stuff. And I realized that although I was really enjoying the work I was doing and the team I was with, I knew that my passion had always been to write and to write about technology. It's something I'd known from a young age. So I decided to leave my good, stable job, take all of my savings and go to grad school in the U.S. And, you know, luckily enough, I got to do some decent work on technology reporting while I was there. And somehow that worked into an internship at, at Quartz well, a little over five years ago now. And the rest, as they say, is history. Pretty much, you know. I mean, it's been, you know, every every job has its ups and downs and bumps and challenges. But it's it's really been pretty awesome to think of, you know, that I, I set out to do something and I actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> it feels pretty rare in life. I mean, I have a hard time, like, you know— remembering to do the dishes, you know, and like setting myself those kind of goals. But it, it was, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud. So Quartz is one of many, many, many companies that sort of came out of the digital media revolution, so to speak. There's been a lot written about the successes and failures mm-hmm. over those of those companies over the past couple of years. What's your perspective, without giving anything away, mm-hmm. on how you guys are doing and what, what about what you're doing is successful? I think when when Quartz is at its most successful, we're telling stories about the way the global economy is changing that few others are. Mm. And we're providing information and insights to people that they might not have seen otherwise. You know, like any, anything, it's a work in progress. When you look at the way that digital media has changed in such a short period of time, it's kind of crazy. The things that like would have taken decades or, or seemed like generations in, in print media or TV media in the past and the way the business models have changed take years yeah. now and sometimes months. You know, you look back to kind of like around 2014 to 2016 and all traffic was determined by Facebook. Yep. Facebook was the the traffic god and if it deemed you worthy, then, you know, you had a good month. Smarter publications knew or maybe ones that thought more long-term, realize that that was probably not always going to be there. And even if it was, it's not always good to put all your, you know, eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that Quartz has always been very good about is seeing what's coming. And so we've tried to to kind of realize where the market is going, where trends are going. And, you know, for us now, we're trying really hard and we're not the only people to build up 
our loyal base. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of readers who read us all the time and we want to talk to them more. And that's why we've launched this subscription package and it's been working pretty well. And we do these things each week called uh, field guides. They're like mm-hmm. a huge deep dive that take a couple months to report on a very, you know, like varying topics. Like I think this week's was on cell cultured meat. Last week's was on like the future of war. And I did one on Apple. So it's a huge range of topics. We're going to get to Apple in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it's like a unique selling point and it's been working pretty well. But it's, you know, it's a lot of work to transition from like, how do we write good SEO headlines to how do we make this as pertinent as possible? You know, you mentioned Facebook. Let's start there. I, I have so many questions. <laughs> we could do five pods. Jason's already rolling his eyes. Obviously, there's a million stories with Facebook mm-hmm. privacy, data protection, advocacy, Russian intervention. Like, you know, there's a a billion places to go. What do you think the most important story at Facebook is this minute? Well, I think, you know, especially considering by the time the listeners will, you know, heard this, they'll have released their most recent earnings. And I think what we'll see yet again, most likely is that for all of these scandals, for everything that seems to be going wrong at this company, their earnings are fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Financially. Financially. And it's, it's amazing how Teflon this company is. The scandals that they've been through almost unscathed are astounding. Yeah. And I think that's still the biggest story is that until advertisers realize that maybe their ad dollars are better spent somewhere else for ethical reasons, because they're obviously working for business reasons, then we're not going to see any change. User base, you know, there was a there was a, a bit for a while where it looked like numbers were falling in the yep. U.S. or maybe in Europe. They were back up last quarter. They'll yeah. probably be, be even higher this week, this this quarter, you know. And so I, I think that for all of these things that we're witnessing that are happening because of Facebook and a few other social networks, whether it's disinformation, deciding who gets a voice, and things like that, they're almost moot when they're still the largest social advertiser and the second largest digital advertiser out there. Yeah. So last week, they made a decision about their news tab. They decided they were going to put the Daily Caller as a quote-unquote, I believe the word is certified yeah. source. There was a few of those, Breitbart as well. Yeah. I, well, I don't know which is worse. I'm, I'm <laughs> You know, the Daily Caller to me is, I, look, Breitbart's disastrous a lot yeah. of times too. But what's your perspective on why they did that? I think there's a couple of reasons. They know where people are going. <laughs> they know what people are clicking on. There are a lot of reasons for that. You know, you could say it's social engineering. You could say it's fear. It's a nine trillion different reasons. But I think at the end of the day, Facebook is still worried and scared by the conservative backlash that they have received since reports a couple of years ago of them blacklisting certain sites that at the end of the day should be blacklisted. I, yep. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't think that there is journalistic integrity at the Daily Caller. And I'll probably get yelled at by them for that. But <laughs> like, okay. It won't um, be the first time yeah. you've gotten into a Twitter dust up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It won't be the first time today. I think that if Facebook wants to create this this platform, which I'm not entirely sure the monetary value of it for them. I can't imagine it's that much. It might it be can't quite, be. It might be big for, you know, publishers, but I don't know. It just feels like them trying to be the arbiter here. And at the end of the day, why not just leave it to some respected third party like 
I don't know, the Neiman lab or something like that. But they don't want to be the, so here's the thing. Yeah. It feels like, okay, we're going to be the arbiter, but then he goes to Congress and he says, I don't want to be the arbiter. We can't be the arbiter. Yeah, but that's also like, you know, if someone's on trial for murder, they're usually going to say they're not guilty, right? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't necessarily think that what, I'm not saying that he necessarily was, you know, perjurous in in Congress or anything like that, but like. Because that never happens. No. I think he maybe believes that, but the fact of what the site is doing and is literally choosing sites, you know, versus other sites to allow to be called news organizations or whatever is intrinsically making them the arbiters, whether yeah. they say they are or not. No, is, their thumbs on the scale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is he, if not the one of the most interesting figures in the world right now? Um, I think he personally is. Probably not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is the position he holds. I think so, yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, Facebook has more residents, as it were, than any uh, one country in the world. Yeah. You know, he has sway like few others in the world do. The Secretary General of the UN, even the President of the United States, can't automatically affect as many people, maybe, you know, with the nuclear football. But, like, short of that, there, there's few in the world that have the ability to affects so many people at once as Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And I can't imagine what that stress is like. I don't envy him in the slightest. No. But then again, he created it. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Let's jump in here a little bit around sort of three spaces that are germane to this pod, and then we'll kind of blow out from there. What are some of the more bigger implications for consumers in terms of what's happening with technology right now. So if you were to sort of pick a few, I hate the word trends, but a a few (laughs) kind of leading indicators of Mm. where things are going, what would those be? I mean, I think Facebook, not to hard back to where we were, is a big one. Just Mm -hmm. the kind of the way our information is used online, whether it's privacy or misinformation or just the flow of information online is a massive problem that isn't going to be solved simply. There is no one solution. There's no panacea here. But it's a huge, important topic that I'm glad that lawmakers around the world are starting to take more seriously. It would be nice when someone like Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or whoever is in front of Congress, they're not just asking him how they reset their password on their Facebook (laughs) account or whatever. But baby steps. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like larger trends, I think the way that we compute is going to change drastically in the near future. You know, and I, I was actually having this conversation with now someone. Now you sound like an IBMer. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. I mean, I hate, I, I just spoke to a, a CEO of a very large company who used the term digital transformation a bunch of times. <laughs> I hate that phrase because, like, what, it sounds like you're, like, turning into bits or something, like, yeah. like in Tron, like right? in tra- The original yeah, Tron. Yeah, the original yeah, yeah, Tron. The good one. shot by the laser, right? <laughs> That's going to happen to businesses. We're all going to end up fighting in war games inside a computer. That's not what's going to happen. But, like, there is... The reality of these, and it's something I actually really like to to write about, is the reality of massive companies realizing that the way the world works isn't the way they're used to. Mm. And the companies that are dealing with that are fascinating, but I'm talking more about, like, you know, the way that we use the internet and the way that we get things done is going to change massively from these machines we sit at. It already is that way. We have phones that we all walk around with, but it's going to become more and more ambient. Whether that's, you know, I I just got the new AirPods today that have Siri built in or whether that's every room having an echo in it or it not even being a physical thing somehow. I don't know. I'm probably getting a little too sci-fi here. 
But the way that we connect and compute online is, is something I think is massive. Right yeah. Now. I think you're right. And I think one of the things that's most interesting to me is that we'll no longer just be disruptive to legacy legacy, mm. but it will be disruptive to legacy into which I will put companies like Facebook and Google. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and voice is a huge, huge game changer for Google in particular exactly. because so much of their revenue comes from search. And if you change the interface to yep. that, then the business model is fundamentally different. Well, people made that same comment about the switch to mobile. Yep. And everyone said Google won't be able to figure it out. Facebook won't be able to figure it out. And Facebook basically pulled a lever and then overnight they're like, okay, we're the largest mobile <laughs> social advertiser. Yeah, they did a nice job with that. Um, but yeah, it is a huge question for voice because like, imagine if you and I were talking right now and then halfway through the sentence I went, drink Poland Spring. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> how do you do it in a way that isn't extremely awkward or annoying <laughs> or actually helpful? I yeah. mean, you know, Alexa sometimes will, I, I actually don't like it, but I can see why people would, where it'll be like, she'll follow up whatever you asked her yeah. with some kind of, oh, by the way. And usually it's pertinent because it's like, oh, yeah. it's going to rain tomorrow. But like, I could see her going, buy an umbrella. And figuring out that is going to be extremely difficult. And it's not a, a thing that like, traditional advertisers are going to solve. It's like a, a psychological, anthropological problem of like, how do you talk to people? Like, sure. you know, how do you actually have these conversations um, with advertisers that aren't like completely ungenuine? Dare I say that on our best day, maybe that's a question for the agency business. Mm. Yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> I completely agree. On our agree. best day. Uh, not on our good day, yeah. But if you look at all the change and transformation occurring in the holding company mm. environments and the acquisition of various capabilities in all kinds of different spaces, it's trying, you know, it might be crawling, but it's mm. trying to get to realizing the possibility of the experiences of all this new stuff. Mm. Just as agencies helped marketers, you know, understand the experiences of old world stuff, whether it was TV or radio yeah. or what have you. And I do think that's still the mission. The problem with the mission is it's just so fragmented that it's a lot more yeah. complicated. The expertise is fragmented as well. It, 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 all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Capability, brand through which it gets serviced, Yeah, you know, connectivity to another, you know, vital part of the organization and the talent therein. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> so I have been dying for this part of the conversation. <laughs> you are one of the more fascinating Twitter reads in my life. <laughs> Highly <Thank> recommended. <laughs> and a big part of that is your position on Apple in particular. <laughs> uh, and, and what I love about it is that you, you clearly have a love-hate thing going yeah. on with Apple. Talk to me about where Apple is, right? So they've basically gotten credit over the past two decades for being the single most thoughtful design, you know, consumer mm. technology design organization in the world. Sure. Is that still true? And if not, why not? What does that look like? So I just wrote, as I was saying, a big field guide on this. So members out there, take a look. But no. And, and non-members, go, <laughs> yeah, go, go sign subscribe. up. Yeah. Exactly. It is the question with Apple right now. And the question I have with them, I mean, at a very simple level is, can they do it again? The iPod completely disrupted the music industry and has changed, with iTunes, the entire way that we consume music these days. It is the reason Spotify exists. It is the reason that people don't buy records anymore. It's There's so much there. They did the same thing with the iPhone. I don't care if you think that the LG product came out three months earlier. That has nothing to do with the mm -hmm. iPhone being the reason no. that we LG did not change yeah, exactly. how that you know mobile computing exactly. worked. 
It was the iPhone and it was the App Store. Yeah. And then it was Android coming out soon after and doing it for cheaper. Yep. But that's a huge part of this is that in that time frame, Apple went from being the only ones who could do something with an excellent design sense and consideration to a market where there are people that, that can. I mean, I look at what Samsung has been able to achieve going from literal copycats back then, yep. the lawsuits that happened because they would be like, oh, yeah, this is the Samsung iPhone, <laughs> to where they are now with some of their design work. And it's excellent. Yep. Um, you know, there are things about like Android that still I think is rough around the edges, but there are problems with iOS these days too. I think that shows two things. I think it shows that Apple is now a market leader and they have – not ever been in that situation before in their entire corporate history. And it's the innovator's dilemma, right? Like sure. they've gotten to that point in that arc, but they're still one of the most interesting companies in the world. And if you look at the amount of money they're spending on research and development alone, you have to believe there's more in the pipeline. It wasn't the Apple Watch, the iPad. You know, you have the iPad Pro. I, I It is the only computer I use at home now. I yep. love mine. But – it's still iterative. Agreed. It is a very large, big, good iPhone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so what's next? It could be augmented reality. I think that's something that Tim Cook has pushed for. He's made a lot of references to where they're going with that. Same with healthcare. I mean, the fact that I have an EKG monitor on my wrist is kind of insane. It might not be as good as a clinical EKG monitor, but it's nuts that they have been yes. able to get that through the FDA. And there's no other company that could do that. Yes. And I think that's what separates them still. But the big concern is how do you not end up like IBM? You know, how do you not end up being the market leader, realizing that you're the market leader and just trying to sell, you know, faster horses, as it were? Sure. Because they've been IBM before. Yeah. I'm an Apple fanboy. It, it is what it is. <laughs> Although I am, you know, I have my perspectives. Innovating personal computing, mm. literally dying making a set of decisions around that, coming yeah. back from the dead, almost dying again, <laughs> arising from that and going in a different direction. It is, you know, the, the single most defining characteristic of Apple in a lot of ways mm. is similar to some of what has defined IBM. Oh, and, totally. that is, and that is that it is a company built on change. Totally. But change takes time and yeah. patience and usually requires management changes or, you know, pivots that are hard and difficult when you have that many employees. And Apple doesn't admit failure. And so it's going to be a really interesting, like, five years for the company, I think. Because yeah. we're up to 11 iPhones. Like, that's just an awkward number. To Naming's just... getting better, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The 11 <laughs> Pro Max. I mean, it sounds like a men's health supplement. <laughs> it does. Get yours at GNC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, maybe it's a new retail expansion strategy. <laughs> so if you had to predict next 24 months mm. a category and not – Apple TV, <laughs> a category that they might do something that is unexpected, what mm. would that be? I think it will be augmented reality. I know from some of my sources, from other reporting that's out there, from um, you know well-sourced analysts, that they are far along with wearable technology for AR. Okay. I think what we're eventually going to see probably— It doesn't make you look like a doorknob. That's the problem. And <laughs> Apple's design sense is very particular. You know, yeah. I don't know if you like, I, I no like. No buttons, no cords. Yeah. No, like, how's that going to work? I, I like Johnny Ives' like design aesthetic for the most part. But then you see how he's dressed. And I'm like, I don't want any more wearables coming from you. <laughs> Thankfully, he's not that involved anymore. But like, you know that the groundwork has already been laid by him. And it's he like. Owns, 
He owns glasses? 50 white T-shirts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want the glasses designed by that guy. But it's it's coming. And, you know, to be fair, everyone made fun of the AirPods. And now they're the best-selling headphones in the world, even if they look really dumb. You had a great phrase in a piece you wrote today, or maybe it was this morning, mm. about AirPods. Mm. You used the word cultural. Yeah. And you are exactly right. It is a cultural mm. phenomenon that ridiculous device, right? <laughs> and look, and I'm I'm a card carrying member, I'm yeah. a, but my daughter, my son, you know, at, at almost nineteen, almost sixteen, when you have one in, it kind of means one thing. When you have two yep. in, it means another. It is a whole thing to them yeah. about where you are and how you are participating with society. To say nothing of the, for lack of a better word, social status around which. Yeah those things confer because yeah. it's $170 to buy yeah, these damn things exactly. and the new ones are whatever they are, 260 or whatever. Yeah, they're, they're too expensive. But I think that what he so said I, with them in his pocket. I may have just bought them <laughs> on the way here. I'm not saying that I'm not a jerk, um, <laughs> but I think what's interesting about that is to me that harkens back to the iPod. The white yes. earbuds and the white cords were such a status symbol yeah, back right. in the day. Yeah, right. And they've done it again. Yeah, they have. The problem is that kind of like the iPod is like, okay, there's like a certain amount of revenue you can generate from headphones. And they're they're eking it out by making these pro models sure. now. But like that's not what was transformative. The transformative thing was when they turned the iPod into a phone that connected to the internet. Yes. And I think similarly, kind of like what we were talking about with voice, the game changer for the AirPods, which I believe will be the foundation for part of the future of Apple, is when that computing becomes more ambient around yep. Yep. Uh, those sorts of devices. Yeah, so it's a step on the pathway to a more engaged, alternate ambient experience exactly. of some kind. Yeah. yeah, that sounds logical to me. <laughs> I'll buy it, Mike. Fine. We'll see. We'll see. I'll read your next article. <laughs> so let's jump ahead. Couple things for 2020. Sure. Drones. Does mm. anyone care? Well, <laughs> DJI, the, <laughs> the biggest drone manufacturer in the world, actually released their new drone today. I got to preview it this week, and I think it's great. But the problem with these things is, and DJI pretty much said it to me, is that, like, they've gotten to the point where everyone who wants one of these drones has one. And I don't think that there's going to be a transformative drone industry in the near future for a couple of reasons. Our current regulatory environment around autonomous technology is not good. I think that what the FAA and the Department of Transportation are doing is interesting. It's meaning that there are drones getting into the skies faster than they would have previously under the last administration. But I think it's haphazard. And This administration is haphazard or something? Shocker. That is a shocker. Um, but I think the drones will change lives when it comes to access to medicine, access to emergency health care, things like that. But that's going to take time in the U.S. It's happening in other countries with American companies. Zipline is a great one, for example. But just because of the structure of America, things tend to be slower. I don't think it's going to be 2020. I think it will be more like 2025. Yeah, okay. Healthcare arena, mm. specifically, let's start with fitness. Okay. The Peloton revolution recently listed. <laughs> you have one in your apartment. No. Uh, I would say my girlfriend has one. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to her in a second. Um, what's your sort of perspective on those kinds of companies? Mm. I think when they do it right, they're super interesting. I think Peloton, for the most part, is doing it right. Yeah. I don't know if IPOing was, the, I don't know what kind of debt structure they had or like reasons they had to IPO 
But as a private little company, I think it's a great idea. I, I think that the combination of making your own hardware that's good and having IP that people actually yep. want is always going to set you apart. That's the Apple model. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. It's very similar. I mean, Apple could buy these guys in a heartbeat yep. and add it into their burgeoning Apple health world. You know, it, with, a little surprising they haven't. Apple has so much cash that they repatriated to this country, I thought, for reasons to buy companies, and they really haven't yet. They've maintained the same posture, which is yeah. we have a lot of cash. <laughs> exactly. Now it's just here. <laughs> I thought the whole reason you wanted it back is to do stuff, to do with, stuff it. with it. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened. But no, I, I think maybe they looked at the numbers and went, actually, Actually, this is it's a it's a loss leader. This is a VC funded gig. I don't know. I haven't looked at the S1 too closely, but I think conceptually I really like the idea. And I think the build quality of the bike, in particular with Peloton, it's the best fitness bike I've ever been on. Uh, for sure. It's um, not even close. I yeah. I'm so you're talking to a car carrying member here too. <laughs> I love mine. Uh, I love the the personalities. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like some of them I know, which is intellectually moronic and yet <laughs> but that's that's what but emotionally is. yeah yes, but emotionally true yeah our um, um, well carrie uh, my girlfriend and i have become diehard nets fans in the last like two weeks had nothing to do with kevin durant and kyrie irving coming to the Nets. miss alley love yeah she's at the games yeah, you yeah, know yeah. it's and and carrie was the one who noticed it and that's like a huge thing like that you've got this personality that sure. like then exists in the real world and like they're both the Nets and Peloton are using her so well. I mean, it's 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 really smart. We're sort of half trying to get her on the pod. Oh, yeah. Yeah, stay tuned. All we'll right. see. I don't know. A lot of times we're not successful. Uh, <laughs> Amazon. I think next year will be a continuation of this year. I mean, again, if you look at their earnings this, this quarter, they, they annoyed investors by mm-hmm. actually investing in the company, which they've been doing forever. Uh, it's not new with them. No, and it's, it's new because they've not done it in like three years. Yeah. But... I think what that means is we're going to see some massive moves from them next year. It could be the insurance and healthcare things that they've started to pilot for their own yeah. employees. It could be, you know, they, they just announced this week that Prime Pantry is, is free for Prime members now. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, things like that, those are huge moves. They don't seem like much because it's like, oh, it doesn't cost me $15 anymore. But the infrastructure required to do that is insane. And yes. I think we'll see more of that in 2020. And their advertising business continues mm. to grow. It's crazy how, you know, for the longest time when you when you wrote anything about digital advertising, you said it was Microsoft and Facebook. Yep. And now I think it's 20% of the digital market is Amazon. Yeah. And I, I've got to believe like Microsoft and Bing are looking like, God damn it, how did they figure it out? <laughs> Somebody other than us. But it's really impressive. But it also makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't necessarily know where I want to go when I'm on Amazon to look for something. Like, if you, if you can tell me that this is at least worth considering, it's smart. So we're going to change gears. Okay. Thank you. We did a little run through. I appreciate <laughs> that. Talk to me a little bit about being a journalist in 2019. Yeah, uh, people love us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, 53% of the country. Yeah. <laughs> It's tough. Um, and I think kind of as we were talking about with, with Facebook at the top, it's such a loaded conversation and it shouldn't be. Like journalism is when it's journalism, it's just the presenting of facts. And sometimes that intrinsically annoys people because they have strongly held views. But you can't debate facts. You can debate opinions and, yep. and hot takes and all that. And it's not like me or anyone else is above that. But – when sheer facts are called into question, it's it's really disappointing. But, you know, the best you can do is to 
get those facts in front of as many people as possible. And sometimes that does mean working with people like Facebook to get that done, people with Google, like Google. Google's been pretty good about being on top after being horrible about certain SEO results, knowledge graph stuff. They're getting better about like, okay, we need to be, this can't just be algorithmic. Yep. And I think that that's going to be a shift as well is like people are realizing, people who want to read the news are realizing that like they have to go to the sources a lot more than, you know, like newspapers. You didn't go to a news, unless you were buying like Newsweek, you didn't go and buy an aggregate of the news. You bought the Times, you bought the Journal. And I think we're starting to finally see that digitally. We're definitely seeing that. I mean, certainly, you know, and and how much of that is driven out Mm. of the current condition in Washington, who knows? But, you know, certainly the subscription rates and, you know, revenue growth in the big three Mm. is, has been significant over the past three and a half years. This, to me, naturally leads us to a question around Twitter. Okay. Since it is the most hot, (laughs) takey, woke. Yeah. Anti-facts place in the way it, it, it occupies all spaces, and maybe that's to its credit. I don't know. In your line of work, it's necessary. Mm. What's the good and the bad of Twitter for you? I mean, the good is the the connections it can create. I literally met my girlfriend on Twitter, which is insane. That's a question here coming, but oh, that's shoot. all right. So what, I mean, let's part that off to the side. Right, we'll yeah. do the whole story. Go ahead. But I mean, the sources I've made, the friends I've made, the colleagues I've I've gained through yeah. Twitter. The conversations I've been made aware of through Twitter, the things I've missed on subjects I care about through Twitter yep. is there's nothing else that's so fast that it is essentially, you know, like the live brain of, of human consciousness that has access to the internet. But obviously the downside of that is very good thought humanity has. There's like 10 bad ones. Yeah. And I think in the same way that Facebook has really struggled to decide what it wants to be when it means that it is or is not a publisher. Twitter has really struggled with who gets to have a voice and who doesn't. And these are really hard questions. I don't know if they're answering them as well as they could be. But And again, I wouldn't want to be in Jack Dorsey's shoes, probably because he wears like, you know. No shoes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Doing yoga retreat somewhere right now. But these are really tough questions. Uh, I, I don't think they're answering them as best they could, though, right now. Last question before we get into the lightning round. Okay. What worries you most about 2020 in any topic? Could be tech, society, whatever, the implications thereof. Mm. And what excites you most about 2020? I mean, I think the obvious one for for worry is how nasty the election race is going to be and how the internet supercharges that. We, Armageddon-like would be the description. <laughs> I mean, the let, way... Let me disabuse you of any positive <laughs> thoughts. It's going to be awful. It's going to be real bad. Um, like, you don't get any time to think about no. something on the internet. You don't get time to decide whether what you've just read is how you feel. Yeah. The conversation has moved on. and Or where the angles are at. Yeah. It's rough for journalists. It's much worse for people trying to make informed decisions. Yeah. And that's what you're supposed to be doing in elections. So that's what I'm definitely most not looking forward to next year. Yeah. For things I am looking forward to, I, I mean, with tech, you, you get these trends that do or do not emerge. I thought 2019 was going to have a, a bevy of, of foldable phones that I was going to get to play with. Yeah, so you've had a rough foldable phone year. Yeah. <laughs> Samsung Galaxy Fold is extremely expensive and comically fragile, and <laughs> none of the other ones came out. Apparently, Huawei's is coming out this week, but, like, also, now it won't run Android, so no one in the world will want to use it. 
Now that is an interesting choice. Yeah. So we have we have a foldable phone, but it's it's not going to run either of the two operating systems that power the mobile world. Yes. So go. it will run what? Something unique? Yes, it'll run Fortran. <laughs> no, it's like a so Android is free, anyone can use yep. it, but it's all of the Google services on top of that yep. that they can't use anymore because of the president, effectively. So they will make their own, using the Android kernel, they have their own stuff on top. Thing they've created, but... All of which have a direct line to Beijing. Exactly. <laughs> you don't know who's listening in any No, no, you moment. know exactly who's listening. <laughs> well, you don't know which soldier it is that's, that's listening. Uh, they have shifts. <laughs> yes. But I do. I do think that we're actually going to start to see more of that kind of stuff in 2020. Microsoft's already said their devices are coming out 2020. Lenovo has some cool stuff coming out, surprisingly. Mm. And Motorola as well, which I guess is also Lenovo. I think that we're actually going to see some useful, cool 5G applications in 2020. It was, again, this year was supposed to be the year of 5G, and it's like Crickets. in three cities for a square mile that no one has a phone I for. do enjoy seeing my false 5E thing. Oh, God. On, oh. Uh, the fact that... <laughs> what that is that? It is a it is it is ad fraud. It is <laughs> in well it, they literally Sprint took ATT to court. No, I know, and, I know. And, and, and yeah, but it's still out. on my phone. I know, though. it drives me crazy because they settled out of court. Uh, it drives me crazy that wow. they can get away with that. It's not five G. For anyone who has an ATT phone that thinks they're on five G, they unless you are not. You're yeah, unless you paid a thousand extra dollars for your phone, you are not. Yeah. All right. Lightning round. Okay. Here we go. Favorite current digital experience. Oh, this might seem weird and boring, but I love YouTube TV. I find the fact mm. that it works across all my devices, and it's the same experience. It's not like there's a mobile version and there's yeah. like a TV version. It's the same, and it works. And I don't mind paying 45 bucks a month for it. Interesting. Best piece of content recently consumed, you know, movie, pod, anything? Well, I just saw Joker on Monday night. Wow. I wouldn't say it was the best, though. I, I really liked Ad Astra. I was surprised, even though it's basically about a guy having to go to Neptune to find out he has problems with his dad. It was a very pretty movie. But I would say my favorite, I recently just read <laughs> Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson from 1990 or something. Okay. It is the most, I don't know how it's not a movie already. It is so visual and so mm. fun to read. Like, and it's so completely out of date. Like, it doesn't, it kind of predates most of the internet, but it right. is a fun read. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll write that down. <laughs> Most seminal album of your teenage years. Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere by Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Really? Yes. You, you do like some old things, don't I you? Do. <laughs> you do have a, a proclivity to, to go backward. All right. I love that. And why? I was introduced to Neil Young by my mom and her best friend at a young age, and something just stuck with me. And Neil Young has been my favorite musician my whole life because of that. I love it. the way he sings. His guitar playing is so underrated. The fact that he is a guy with a not very good voice that can become so powerful is fascinating to me. Hmm. And thing people should know about you, but they don't. Well, you know, but I grew up in the UK, and I'm actually a British citizen even though clearly do not sound like it. I was going to say, you, you might have missed the best part. The um, <laughs> the best back back in the day when we were working together and we'd have those status calls with the U.S., yes. my boss at the time, all of them would make me do the calls because they'd be like, you can speak like a yank to them. Just talk like them. <laughs> right, right. Just, I, was, I was like an intern. And yeah, like, which is like code for it, 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 they, they won't bother us. Yeah, exactly. If you say it, it'll sound okay. That's very funny. It's a testament to running a global business in a, in a shop. <laughs> you 
date a woman by the name of Carrie Flynn, who's I been do. a guest on our pod. As I told her when she was here, I am not the first person to say this. In fact, I think it might have been Gary Vaynerchuk or somebody. Oh, God. It said you were, the, you know, a, a favored couple on Twitter. You're my favorite couple on Twitter. <laughs> How did you meet? Tell us the story. So it was like soon after I started at Quartz, so about four and a half years ago, I was covering TechCrunch Disrupt New York, that glamorous event. And <laughs> I was sitting in the audience and I knew there was a press room somewhere, but I couldn't find it. Yep. And I really needed to go to the bathroom. So I looked on the hashtag on Twitter for people. And like no one else uses hashtags at events other than the people involved in the event right. and journalists. The, the marketing people. Yeah, 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 yeah the marketing yeah, people. Yeah. yeah. So... I look for it, and I saw a couple of women tweeting about it back and forth at each other. And I was like, hey, sorry, sorry to be extremely weird, but where's the press room? <laughs> I'm a journalist, I swear. And then they told me, and I met them. And it was Carrie Flynn and Maya Kosoff, formerly of Vanity Fair. Hmm. And they're, they're friends now, or, you know, we're all friends now. And I met her again that night at the, like, TechCrunch party. And I was like, ah, this, she's pretty fun. I like, yeah. I like her. Didn't do anything about it for a couple of years, and and um, we stayed friends. You know, Which, by the way, is a is a good sign of a good guy. It's like <laughs> uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I I did not realize that. I she later told me like you probably should have just asked me out that day, and I was like, hmm, yeah, that would have saved a lot of time. But no, we 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 stayed friends, and she invited. Actually, we were trying to figure out the other day if she invited me or just invited my friend, who's her old colleague, to right. a party like two and a half years ago. And, like, we reconnected there and started dating pretty soon after. Thank you so much. You've been a fantastic guest, which I knew you would be. And it's <laughs> lovely to see you again. You make me make me feel uh, old, but it's good to see you. <laughs> so that's it. You've survived another human element. This one was one of my favorites. So uh, thanks again to Mike for coming. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. And if you are so motivated, give us a like or subscribe I will not make my subscriber joke just so I can make Jason happy. He's actually smiling. If you could see him, if this were a visual show, you could see him smiling. Thanks so much. We'll see you real soon. Bye-bye.